Holy Cannoli, episode 41. This is going out a little bit on the lag, not on our usual Monday rotation. Oh, did you skip one? I did. Well, just because of spring break. Yeah. spring break. Let's all relax, people. We we were relaxing. We went to Where the Streets Have No Name. Where the Streets Have No Name. We went to Joshua Tree. Super cool. Never been before. I'd always wanted to go. And it was a cool experience. Such a unique landscape. Very cool. I've never yeah. seen one of those trees up close. And I don't yeah. think I know if they exist anywhere else, but in that location. I think I saw some off the five. No, I mean home. like in Southern California. <laughs> They're nowhere else. Like, in the world? Right? I don't in the know. World? Someone I've, should Google that. I feel like it's probably a deserty tree. <laughs> Maybe in Arizona or oh, Mexico. Well, I don't know. Did... Did you two do that album because of that location, though? The Joshua Tree National Park. Another fact check. Fact check. If we no had, idea. If, only if we had a large staff to do all these things that we needed to do. People, if you know stuff, <laughs> if you let know us stuff, know. If you know stuff. About Joshua Tree. you know any stuff. You too. Let us know. Bono. So episode 41 is a podcast I recorded 10 months ago. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's been, you were on it. It's been in like the reserves of my computer. And it is with my friend Garrett Brown, who I interviewed him at the time because he had left his position as a pastor in a church to start a campus position with Stanford. Cool. So I kind of picked his brain, but then it got into scripture and to stories in the Bible. And he's a really good storyteller and speaker. And the crazy thing is he was then diagnosed, I mean, before we, or after we, uh, recorded the podcast, he was diagnosed with cancer. So since mm. he put the podcast out, since we did that 10 months ago, he's already like been diagnosed on a whim, uh, meaning like it was kind of like not expected. I guess nobody expects to get cancer and then went through chemo and now he's doing great. So he's mm. in remission. So I need to have him back mm. to hear that whole story. So yeah. Garrett Brown uh, is a I mean, a walking miracle. So mm. keep that in mind as you listen to him talk. And the funny thing is, uh, back then when we were just starting the podcast, I was trying to get cannoli to every person that oh, I interviewed. Yes. So I actually, <laughs> so I actually had like you know some cannoli. And at the time, I think he wasn't eating sugar or something like that. So you'll hear it on the podcast. But well, it was funny. like. This is brand new. We hadn't even launched it. Here's the name of it, and here's my thing I'm going to do that I only did for like four people. So, uh, Cool. Anything coming up we need to talk about? Yes. Um, I don't even know. <laughs> we still have a few days left of spring break. So We're still, uh, we we're just still, drove home We just today. did. We did. We drove home. We're in the headspace of that after whatever that's called. Um, but I do <laughs> I have this weird thing going on on, on April 30th at the Fox Theater. I can't promote it or say it. Yet, because we're in these weird negotiations with licensing fees and studios and film distributors, and it's super weird, but I'm told I'll be able to announce it on Monday. So if you're in the social media world, stay tuned to the Brave Maker pages. I'll put it on the Holy Cannoli page too, but we're going to have a special screening of a film and then talk about criminal justice reform on April 30th, downtown Redwood City. We'll give you the exact details when we know them. And then May 13th is a film about cancer. So we're fighting cancer with film. Uh, and the film is called Love Always Mom. Really cool story. And the filmmaker slash subject of the film will be with us in Redwood City. And then our film festival is June 1st and 2nd. And it's coming really quick. And we're announcing all of the films slowly but surely. Everything, tickets will go on sale 
in April, April 15th. Whoa. I know. It's coming. Summer's coming. So you guys block your calendars. Block it out. You don't even need to know all the details. Just know the dates (laughs) and write it down so you don't plan anything else. Because there are going to be some really cool events. Hopefully we'll have some good and more news about people who are joining and sponsors and celebrity type people who are going to be around. Celebrities. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. All right. With that, enjoy my friend Garrett Brown. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Well, now that you know the official name, and I just presented you with one of my favorite ever, yeah. Treats in the whole world, and you tell me you're not eating grains. I don't I know. know what to do about or that. Sugars. Well, <laughs> or sugars. I, grains I, or sugars? What are you eating then? Like meat? Meat and <laughs> vegetables and a lot of cheese. A lot of cheese. Cheese? <laughs> so I can suck the inside out. Suck it out, dude. That's all cheese inside there. All right. Well, hey, welcome to the podcast, Garrett Brown. Thank you. I just told Garrett the name of the podcast, Holy Cannoli. And then I presented him with a cannoli that he told me he couldn't eat, but he's got three kids at home. Isn't the singular cannolo? Cannolo, that's right. I presented you with a cannolo. I don't. Have, oh, you're Mr. Italian no, professional. No, I, I don't have. <laughs> I don't have the uh, the same Italian cred as you do. I mean, brown is about as un-Italian as you can get. But uh, on my mom's side, we're Italian, and and I I go to supermarkets and delis, and my pet peeve is when they they claim to serve paninis. Oh yeah, and, you're like really. Uh, See, now you're going to give me a complex, too, because I have certain complexes around how things are said and done. And now the whole cannoli thing, that's going to be an issue for me. I'm going to have to start correcting people because it's holo cannolo doesn't really sound all that holy cannolo or whatever. Okay. So, hey, uh, thanks for being on the conversation today. Um, The whole thing that I wanted to start this for was because, you know, as I was transitioning out of my public platform I needed a space to talk and and even really wrestle a little bit with what was going on in my life, uh, how I was understanding my own, like who am I, as well as what am I called to. And I know you recently, I mean like a year and a half ago, right? Yeah. You just kind of had a whole transition. And uh, so I thought I'd have you talk a little bit about your story in general, the whole, sure. the whole who are you and uh, why are you here you know, story. How has that worked out for Garrett Brown from where you are now and how you've discovered you know, yourself you know, or I guess just like understood what was going on in your past till today? Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a local guy and, and been here in the Bay Area pretty much all my life. Um, had really solid uh, family background, uh, great parents, um, and I think I went through that thing that I didn't go through like the major rebellion thing, but I went through that thing that uh, you know kids that grew up in the church eventually have to decide: well, is this something of my own, or is this something that uh, just I, I've kind of tagged along with my parents? But now it's time to figure something else out. So I went to a Christian college in LA, and um, it was interesting because right prior to leaving for college, and you know I'm a high school senior, um, one of my best friend's uh, sisters died unexpectedly. Um, she was like my sister's age, and and we were close as family families. And then um, that first semester of my freshman year, my roommate, who had become my closest friend at school, his dad passed away unexpectedly. So I have these two deaths that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily like right in my circle, but kind of the next layer out of my circle. 
And it really pretty much shook me up. And it was like, what's what's the deal here with, with a God that just lets, you know, this young, vibrant woman and this kind of war hero, he was a military officer, die, you know. And so I went through the whole questioning thing and, and the, the death thing. And, and someone at, at school, a friend of mine, uh, really encouraged me just to, um, I mean, pretty much laid it out that this is the time when you either push in harder to God or you, or you drift off and you're at a crossroads. You kind of have to decide that when you're faced with like mortality and suffering and why these things happen and, and to good people. And so I, I, uh, I really did take that advice and I, I leaned into a, a study of, of, uh, um, specifically the resurrection and, and just the hope that we have in resurrection. So that began, I think, um, a new start of, of not just, uh, Faith is something that I carry as a legacy on my back because that's how I was raised, but faith is something ahead of me that I pursue with hope and with my own energy and, and vigor and, and kind of came out of that. Um, really excited about uh, teaching others and, and specifically I was, I was teaching like um, East LA kids, you know, uh, just as a volunteer when I was, you know, you, you were kind of given this uh, obligation to do some kind of ministry while mm-hmm. you're in college. And mm-hmm. I ended up in this youth ministry to kids that were sort of on the fringe, a, a mix of suburban kids and, and East LA kids. And, and I just, um, I loved it, but I didn't really think for a second that you could do that for a living. And I was heading another direction. I was going toward broadcasting and journalism. And, um, I went abroad for, uh, three months in Germany. And actually, actually that's where I met my wife. And you I, met Susan in Germany? Yeah. 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 I didn't know that. Yeah, we, we didn't know each other for the first two years at Biola, and then, you know, we were on this trip. And it's funny because, side note, but uh, <laughs> there were uh, there were 30 students from Biola on this trip in Germany, and there were uh, 20 girls and 10 guys, you know, so, and there was like... <laughs> so the odds were in your favor? The odds, the odds <laughs> were in my favor, and um, I had... Uh, I had done my homework and, and looked at the girls who were going on this trip ahead of time. And there was something about... What does that I, mean you did homework? Like you did some research <laughs> well, on all the girls? What does this look like? Stalking, I think, would be the fair <laughs> <laughs> the fair way to put it. Now, this is before internet, am I right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so how do you stalk and research someone? I mean, back in the... What is this? Like 80-something? <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, 89, 89. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, gosh, you want to get into that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. How'd you do it? So there's a list of, oh, here's the girls going and here's our yearbook. And I just went oh, name to name. There we go. And you know, it's horrible because you make these spot just dis- yeah. <laughs> judgments. So you're going but, seven, eight, <laughs> right. Susan gets a 10. <laughs> You know what? What what clinched it with Susan was uh, there was a picture of her on a uh, on a missions trip to Honduras, mm. and she always complains about this story because she's like, I had no makeup on and I hadn't showered <laughs> in a week and I was wearing a straw hat. But she she was a, so just genuine looking. She had this little kid on her lap, this Honduran kid, and and I don't know. There's something very compelling about that that whole image to me. So the summer before we go to Germany, huh. I say to my. Uh, my best friend, kind of half joking, but like half kind of prescient. I don't know. I said, I'm going to marry this girl. And it was like just a dumb thing you say. And then Dang. go to Europe for three months and I come back. And then a year after we're in Europe, we're engaged. It's just one of those crazy so things. So note to someone looking for a spouse, like get a mission trip picture and going and float that around because that's going to... For sure. For sure. <laughs> and also, I love the fact that 
you were drawn, you didn't know her, but you were drawn physically to her, but the physical story revealed something about her character. Yeah, for sure. There was, there was something that that picture communicated to me. That's that, really cool. That I knew she was like the real deal. Okay. But the funny thing about our, our trip, again, there's, there's 10 guys, 20 girls. By the end of three months, there had been about four pairings of this combination of, of students. Spring, like ring before spring, something kind well, of like that? Even less than that. It was like, well, hey, we're in Europe and, and uh. you know, we're, we're, we're on the gondolas in Venice <laughs> and... You know, the Romance Berlin is Wall is coming down and changes the foot. So mm. people were just sort of mm. um, pairing off. Mm-hmm. And I remember our uh, one of our chaperones, uh, Frau Boos, she, told, she pulled the girls aside and said, um, you know, girls, when you're out here in Europe, it's okay to do your window shopping, but make your final purchases when you're back in the States. <laughs> so, also good advice. <laughs> <laughs> so... So one by one, these other pairings just kind of flittered away. Some didn't last like a couple of weeks, but you're still stuck in Germany or in this one program with these people for the next you know few months. So that became awkward. But anyway, we um, ours just kind of lasted. We got back to the states and got back into the rhythms of school and sort of started dating all over again. What's it like to date now that we're yeah. not in this yeah. kind of fantasy land? Yeah. So, but yeah, and that was definitely part of the story in step with God sort of shifting my priorities and my agenda in terms of life and career and school. So, um, you know, Susan definitely had a, a ministry background, a ministry heart. She wanted to have some outlet for that herself. She didn't know what that was either. So, um, yeah, I finish, I finish um, as an undergrad and, and go into seminary and then we get married and start having kids and... Yeah, I ended up in pastoral ministry for for 20 years, um, ending up back here in, in the peninsula for the last, you know, 17 of those mm-hmm. 20 years. So, Which that's how I met you. So I think yeah. I met you, were you just coming to Sequoia? I forget. Or had you already been there? But you've been a pastor with a church for quite a long time, and then yeah. you made a transition. I, I planted a church, mm-hmm. and... Um, it's funny, this goes full circle, because I, I planted a church, and prior to us having a um, uh, a regular worship service, we, we basically existed kind of as a, as a home church or a series of, of home groups. And then when we did launch our worship service, we did it on, on Sunday nights. But um, anyway, in those years prior to, or the, the year prior to launching our Sunday night service, we would come here and worship at Sunday at 6. And... Um, I only knew you as the dancing boy. That's what that's what Susan called you. The dancing boy. The dancing boy, because you were always up front during the worship times dancing. So I think that's where we met. I had the Holy Spirit all the time. <laughs> yeah. and I'm very charismatic. And I mean, I have I have a, a long connection with uh, with Peninsula Covenant, and so that was great to have that. And then so then we did the church plant for five years. That church ended up merging with another local church, which was Sequoia mm-hmm. um, down the street here. And then I was at Sequoia for 12 years. Um, and then transitioning out of Sequoia, out of that pastoral role into what I'm doing now, um, ended up kind of back back here at, at PCC. So just kind of interesting how it comes full circle there. And so. now I'm leaving. Yeah, man. So the interesting thing is I've, I've always admired you for, like, so we would meet, you know, 
on and off again over the years, and we worked together on some projects. We did street life together. Yeah. We did our Sunday night gathering downtown, tried to merge uh, these two churches into like this organic thing. But I felt always drawn to you because of the way you thought, because I think the way that you teach and, and preach is very intellectual. You are really good at digging into the text and bringing context to scripture, which is interesting because now you're working at one of the most prestigious universities known for its intellect and known for what people do with their minds, like these amazing brains at Stanford. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about, because it seems like a great fit for you. (laughs) So talk about what that looks like and how you're navigating through this. I was hoping it was a great fit. And every time I walk on that campus, I feel like a big dummy. You know, I feel like a fraud. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Why is that? (laughs) Um. It, it, it is kind of an intimidating place, honestly. Like, um, there, well, there's there's two parts of it. There's there's the working with students, which is great, and it, and it's awesome, and and it's neat to see, you know, those connections start to to bear fruit. But these are like super bright students, and um, they start talking about their, you know, they start talking about their computer science classes. It, it's literally a different language for me, and yeah. I can't I can't keep up. And then there's the other part of sort of the, the Stanford presence, like yeah. the administration, the legacy, and, and um, you know, their place kind of in, in academics. And um, that's a whole other part of the thing. Um, it's not necessarily a place super friendly for uh, faith-based organizations, as you might, as you might assume. Um, so anyway, so there's that, there's that element of it. But yeah, just to back up a little bit, I was... Um, I'm on the board for, for Street Life. Street Church became Street Life, as you know. And um, one of my uh, fellow board members, uh, a guy named Jason, had just shifted his career from some, some business and sales stuff into working for this nonprofit. And I didn't know a whole lot about it. I knew they had a presence back east and they were a, a campus ministry similar to Campus Crusade or InterVarsity. And actually, a kid that was in my church, again, I'm, I'm pastoring this local church, a kid that was in my church and went to Princeton got involved in this ministry and I knew it was a a huge um, game changer for him in terms of his depth of knowledge of scripture and his engagement with other people and his sense of just being a leader among his peers. I mean, it really did a lot for, for this kid. And, but that was the extent of it. And then um, my friend Jason had, had shifted careers and and he was working for this organization called Christian union. And um, he was out here on the West coast doing some development work for them and he said, you know, we're, we're ready to, to start um, a new campus um, because they had been all in the Northeast. And he said, we're doing our first um, non-Ivy League campus and our first West Coast presence out here at Stanford. We're looking for a, a ministry director to lead this team and, and launch this effort. Um, would you know anyone that might sort of fit into this profile? He gives me a profile of, of this. And it's it's like uh, heavy on on discipling mm. students and, and heavy on kind of bringing a, a more uh, rigorous approach to understanding scripture and um, developing students as leaders, developing those who are going to be influencers in their own fields uh, as, as, as men and women that have the, the character of Christ. I mean, one by one, it's just started to check a lot of boxes. And so I went back to him a couple of days later. I said, hey, I think I know someone that, that fits this criteria. <laughs> Hello, me. And yeah. And um, I mean, you know, we could we could uh, probably talk about this, you know, you and I for a while. But ministry goes through seasons where you get kind of restless. And you're yeah. like, is this, Lord, yeah. is this what I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. for this long? And 
it, it, it's nothing at all against like what I was doing or the place I was doing it. I love that congregation and I, and I still love pastoral ministry, but I, it just seemed like there was a season that was ending and something else was beginning. Yeah. And that's the best I could yeah. explain it. You know? Yeah. Plus it actually, um, it scared me a little bit to make a big change like that. Um, I didn't necessarily think I was like up at the caliber of these guys who are leading these Ivy league ministries. And then it turns out that, you know, these are just normal men and women who also love the word of God and, mm-hmm. and love students and, um, just, you know, it, they're disciples and, mm-hmm. and they're coaches and, mm-hmm. and that appealed to me. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's a risk and, and I, I, I still struggle a little bit, you know, a year and a half into it. I still feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a rugby player that suddenly is supposed to play professional football mm-hmm. and, and the skills are kind of the same, but the rules are sort of different. Yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like. But essentially, it still comes down to teaching scripture, um, shepherding others' lives, and, and, and leading an organization in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of key pastoral skills that don't change, whether you're in a mission field or in a church startup or in a large church or in a kind of a student collegiate discipleship ministry like this. It's, it's still essentially the same heart and soul of what we do. I love it. I'm, oh, you're a year and a half ahead of me jumping into a totally new career, like midlife. So I'm looking at you going, that's exactly how I feel like I'm jumping. I feel like I am the never played football player who's asked <laughs> to play football and never played nothing like that. That's kind of how I'm like, what am I doing? Okay, okay. so on this podcast, some of the things I like to talk about or I want to talk about are how we engage with God in in the world. Now, you as a pastor, me as a pastor, we've engaged in the world of the church for many, 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 many years. And although you still have a job that is quote unquote discipling people, you're in. You reference this really this prestigious institution mm. that you even said can be a little bit um, anti um, to organized, you know, sure. Christianity that type yeah. of thing. So I thought it'd just be cool to talk a little bit about like what are you what are you seeing in your in your year and a half? What does it look like to be a person of faith in an institution that is not, or just living your life as Garrett Brown who follows Jesus in the world that isn't always accepting to uh, talk about Jesus or doesn't live into the same norms that we do as Christians on a Sunday gathering. Cause I'm really interested. I want this audience to be able to ask questions, talk about their doubts. And then how does the Bible, like how is the, your understanding of the Bible changed? You're a great person who teaches scripture. And for someone who maybe is not interested or thinks the Bible is outdated or, you know, it is a little wonky <laughs> and right. says kind of crazy things. Right. So first let's talk about what you're seeing God do or what you're seeing happening in the campus. And then like, let's talk about the Bible and how the Bible is relevant or not. Yeah. Um, with, with our group, one thing that's interesting is, um, well, Stanford, um, Stanford geographically is a huge place, but in terms of the student body, it's, it's not a big school. It's only 7,000 undergrads, uh, which is fairly small as, as far as um, schools go like that. But it also has several uh, very healthy, very successful campus ministries on it. I mean, there, there is a, a long-time presence of these other national ministries on there and, and church ministries, local church ministries that have a great inlet there to... Um, to Stanford students. And so, so we just come as sort of, you know, learners and listeners, um, uh, recognizing that there is this pretty vibrant Christian community there in this uh, unique, um, environment of Stanford. 
But what happens in, in, with, with us is that your, your typical kid, like, like how I was in college or, or even where my kids are, you know, brought up in the church, kind of, kind of know the whole thing. When they're looking to get connected to quote unquote, a youth group or a college group, they're probably going to gravitate towards crew or, or, um, university or, or because uh, those groups have what in common, they, they're bigger and they're established. And, and honestly, because they have official recognition from the school, they can kind of meet on campus and reserve space. It, it's just a, a pretty easy thing. Um, our group is just in our second year and, 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 um, we haven't uh, been officially recognized by the school. In fact, we were rejected the first time we wow. applied. So, uh, which is fine. It just means that that we do things a little bit differently, and, and we tend to focus more on on smaller gatherings. These things we call Bible courses, which are uh, kind of like a small group with a with like I said, more of a rigorous approach to studying Scripture together, and they then tend to be smaller. And we do a lot of one on one coaching and, and discipleship. Um, so we don't have that, that kind of big entry point that a lot of college groups have. Uh, what, what means that is we get, um, and this is funny because this goes back to when I was a church planner on the peninsula, it was so similar. We get a small population of students who are like, uh, mature, ready to go. Hey, I want to, I want to be part of leading this thing. I, I have a vision for what this could be. And, and boom, they're ready. And then you have sort of the group that maybe otherwise wouldn't have connected to any kind of spiritual community. And, and through our efforts to befriend them or our other students reaching out to them, they sort of just wander into our groups. And so they're, they're either coming from like complete, uh, you know, empty canvas in terms of spiritual input in their life, or maybe they had some kind of mainline Christian, mainline Protestant or Roman Catholic background, but, um, most of them come with with uh, not a lot of understanding at all, which is a pretty cool place to start with someone. When you pair that with the fact that these are highly accomplished, very analytical students, in whatever field they're in, they're 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 thinkers, and and they um, will not just roll over pretty easily for kind of Sunday school mm-hmm. answers. So. Uh, even though we're, we're sort of a, a small thing right now, we have these uh, young men and women who are um, just really wrestling with things that maybe I've kind of taken for granted all mm-hmm. my life. Just, you know, we looked at like last last quarter, we looked at um, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, four chapters, pretty, pretty on message, um, but some students might just really lean into this, this whole thing of, you know, the, the presence of the Romans at that time and what that meant for Paul's theology and, and uh, talking about social issues at the time, like slavery and class division, stuff that maybe your typical churchgoer wouldn't really think too much about because we want to jump right to, mm-hmm. oh, I can do all things through Christ's strength. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, let's talk about what mm-hmm. all these things are. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really fresh way for me as a, uh, as, as a Bible teacher and as just a follower of Christ to kind of look at scripture through the eyes of someone who really wants to probe and think and they're curious and yet they don't have any of the language or or maybe I could say any of the baggage of you know a church history or church background so that's been that's been really fun just to to help you know kind of guide through that and then the other great thing about a school like Stanford is you you have um, a population of international students ah cool and you have these kids that come um, and, and so often they either come from place where it's, it, there's real hardship. Like we have a young lady who comes from Malaysia, which being a Christian in a very predominantly Islamic country is a, is a challenge all itself. And so she comes with a whole different kind of 
view of, of the church and in her own pursuit of Christ. Um, or you have students that come from, from uh, sub-Saharan African communities where it's just so natural to pray for deliverance and for healing and, and, and to expect God to show up miraculously. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just part of their everyday mm-hmm. rhythm as, as, uh, as, as Christians. And so that is a, as a new part of, you know, bringing that into a group of other students from the Midwest that have zero you know background at all. And it, it creates a, Pretty interesting dynamic. That's interesting. You also said, though, it kind of surprised me a, a little bit that you guys do rigorous Bible study. So I'm assuming, though, that Stanford students already have like tons of crazy homework. Like yeah. their life is always rigorous. Yeah. So the fact that this is actually another like rigorous experience for them, I guess it makes sense that that's what they're looking for. They're not really looking for the fluff of a big college group with a, you know, smoke machine and like a dancing boy in the front. I mean, I don't know. Like what, what is that? Talk on that. Yeah, we, uh, we, we do have, um, uh, a pretty thorough curriculum for each. We do it by quarter. So each quarter is a, uh, a, a new study or, um, our, our upperclassmen are doing Romans this year, which is really heavy. I mean, and, and we have a, 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 we call it a manual, which is basically kind of a, a workbook where they kind of work through. Supposedly, ideally, every day they're doing a little bit on their own, and then they come into the group and we all discuss it. But, I mean, the reality is these are students with mm-hmm. tremendous amount, not just the schoolwork, but the stuff they put on themselves. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm part of this engineering club, or I'm doing this research project, or I'm I'm, I'm starting I'm a company. Starting a company, <laughs> literally. I have yeah. They're they're building an sure. app in their spare yeah, time. Totally. Um, they want to be involved, and they yeah. don't say no to a lot of things. And so, part of it, yeah, it's self-selecting. We we end up with a group that wants to dig in and do the work, um, but we certainly don't expect them to you know spend. 10 hours in Romans every week. It's just yeah. not going to happen. So, so sometimes we come, you know, we have our, 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 um, these small groups, these Bible courses once a week. And, and sometimes it's pretty clear that they haven't cracked it open the whole week and that's fine. So like normal people, exactly. then. <laughs> like normal Christians, They're like normal 19 yeah. year olds, yeah, you know, totally. for sure. So, so Hey, let, let's talk about, you love scripture. You love teaching it, uh, and I totally love that, and I feel like I've learned a lot from you. Like I would listen to some of your podcasts, or you, you would speak on Sundays, and they would be on podcasts through the church that you were a part of. Oh, you're the one. Yeah, I'm the one, <laughs> the one person who downloaded it. <laughs> uh, what? Let's just talk a little bit for listeners who, when they hear the word Bible, they sort of um, wince a little bit, mm. uh, and or the, the person who is a person of faith who maybe feels like, I don't really think the Bible is relevant. I love God. I follow the ways of Jesus, the ways of kindness and acceptance and inclusion. How How is the Bible changing, if it is? Or how are we changing in the way that we relate to the Bible? Or how should someone pick up the Bible if they wanted to learn more? Just kind of riff a little bit on your love of the Bible and how you would challenge people to read it and why it's still relevant today. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I think... Uh, one thing that's that's helped me, and I and I try to bring this in when I when I encourage people either in a group or in a church setting or as an individual to approach the Bible. Um, the Bible is, in a lot of ways, it's it lives in the tension of all these contrasts. So let's mm. say, for instance, it's a 
it is an ancient collection of books. It's not one book. It's a collection of books, 66 books, mm -hmm. that definitely have the imprint of the ancient Middle East. And so we should read it with that filter intact, understanding that the way they wrote narrative history, the way they mm -hmm. wrote poetry and prayers, the way they even talked about... Um, you know, things that happen in nature is, is definitely from a, a Middle Eastern uh, vantage point and, and, and worldview. And so we have to kind of appreciate that, that filter. We can't squeeze it into a 21st century American filter. But the contrast there, the tension is it's, it's completely accessible to um, the person who just wants to kind of dive in. I mean, open, open the Psalms and read these prayers of these ancient people and and tell me it doesn't immediately have some kind of access into your life. I think I think it's interesting how the Bible can confound great thinkers and philosophers for 2000 3000 years, but a child can read and memorize Psalm 23 and get a lot out of it. So it's this ancient collection of books that seems on some level so different and so detached from our world and yet it is immensely accessible. Um, another contrast is this idea of the diversity of the Bible, mm. um, you know, spanning the Old Testament alone, spanning like 1500 years of just from Abraham, if we start there really, to the end of uh, the Old Testament period, it's about 1500 years. I mean, just all the history that happens in there, 40 plus different authors contributing to these books. Uh, like I mentioned, just all kinds of different genres, whether it's poetry or history or um uh, letters to churches, you know, biographies. Um, there's so much diversity in scripture that it, it doesn't just read like a beginning to end kind of thing. It, it just jumps all over the place. But the contrast there is that there's this unified message, right? I think that you can read Genesis through Revelation and, and find this great story of God um, who loves this world he, he made and has in, injected himself in so many ways in this world and a constant back and forth of, of blessing and failure on humanity's part to stand in that blessing and then God extends grace and redemption and then there's a, a repentance and a call back to God and then the cycle starts over again but it, it culminates with Jesus and the cross as, as the ultimate way God has blessed us and, and rescued us and it points to this consummation of this story, you know. So there is this beautiful arc that goes all through. And again, it's woven through the history of Israel. It's woven through the prayers of the saints. It's woven through the gospels and the stories of Jesus. And it's woven through the letters to the church. Um, but it is one arc, one redemptive story. And I think that's pretty incredible, you know. I love that, man. You make me want to read the Bible more. Oh, well, crack it open. <laughs> I think the... Uh, you know, I think the, the challenge, I had this book right here. I read this book, What is the Bible by Rob Bell. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh, dude. You should check that out. <clears throat> I did a whole podcast on why um, I came came to Jesus through Rob Bell. Came to Jesus again through Rob Bell because I had written him off because so many people said he was a heretic. And I'm like, yeah, he's a heretic. <laughs> and then I didn't have anything to do with him. And then someone said, you should start listening to him again. And I did. And I read, the bio, read that book. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It just, just Everything you just said. Um, I hope listeners, my, my hope is 
that we, I think too, like we're in a time like as two straight white guys, you know, the patriarchy right here, right. We're, we're in a time where people of color, the gay community, women, you know, anybody who's not in the majority of society, I think needs to hear that, um, what you just said, that the Bible is for them, that these stories are for them, that this God is for them. Yeah. And I think part of my journey and my evolution in the past years has been just trying to make sense of how, like what you said, how I've abused or mis- mistaken God's will, God's plans, and I've made them my own. And I've come back to him going, oh my gosh, banging my head. Like, I am so sorry, God. How did I get this wrong? How did I just, you know, twist my focus just a little bit to think it was about this thing or this part of Christianity, which was more about um, building my empire or, you know, filling seats in a a building with a cross on it or whatever I had made it to be and leaving people out and, you know, that type of thing. So I really hope that uh, these conversations, even just for myself, (laughs) remind me of that so that I read through that filter of context, like what you said, the Middle Eastern culture, like that's just, we don't talk about that enough. We pick it up, we go straight to like what you said, Philippians 4, I could do all things through Christ, which is good, Right. but how do we look at this? Like what did actually Paul mean for this, for the Philippians? Anything else you want to comment on that? Well, you know, a story came to mind I was was just looking at last week that I think relates to that. Um, I'll try to just kind of give the short version. In the Old Testament, in the book of Second Kings, so in in context, this is maybe about um, two hundred some years after King David. So this is sort of at, at the at the the point at which um, Israel is divided into a northern and southern kingdom. Sometimes there's good kings, sometimes there's bad kings, and the people of Israel kind of respond to where the heart of the king is at the time. And God would send prophets to try to draw them back. You know, so that's really the the latter half of Israel's story. In the Old Testament, but at one point in in the book of Second Kings, the lens moves off of Israel and and just shifts over briefly to this Gentile leader named Naaman. He's a general in the Syrian army, so a neighboring country that is often at war, hostilities with Israel. And it's describing Naaman as this great man, great commander, the respect of his king, the respect of his people. But he has leprosy, has this debilitating skin disease, right? And he, in his household is a Israelite uh, slave girl who doesn't even isn't given a name, and she apparently has so much affection for her captors, for Mister Mrs. Naaman, that mm. she says, "If only, um, if only General Naaman would go down to Israel and find the prophet there, I bet he could heal him of his leprosy." So Naaman is so desperate for for healing, he listens to this girl. And I think about how many lines are crossed there. And I was thinking about this when you were talking about, you know, God's story is for everyone. It's for everyone and regardless of their background or brokenness. So here's this Syrian general uh, with this this skin disease, and he's breaking all these taboos in, in society. I mean, he's listening to a girl, and he's a man. She's a slave, and he's a general. She's a Jew, and he's a Syrian. And uh, he listens to her, and he goes down to Elisha, the prophet. And Elisha doesn't even come out to see him, just sends his messenger and says, oh, yeah, go dunk <laughs> yourself seven times in this murky, muddy Jordan River. And, and Naaman, he's, he's pretty frustrated with that. And he says, well, why did I come all the way down here? I thought this guy would just wave his hand and I'd be healed. And so he starts to pack up, but all his men who are with them, they say, General, actually in the Hebrew, they say, Father, again, there's so much affection for this guy. Father, won't, we're here. Why don't you just listen to what the guy says? 
So he, he jumps into the Jordan River seven times and he's healed. And it's a great Bible story. You know, it's a great kind of flannel graph. Mm-hmm. Type of great story. Sunday school for kids. Exactly. Story. Yeah. But there's this part of it where he comes out and he wants to show his appreciation to the prophet. So he wants to offer him some, some like monetary, you know, like a tip. He wants to tip <laughs> Elijah. And Elijah's like, that's not how it works. And he says, well, can I ask this? Can you give me two bucket loads of the dirt of this place? Because I want to bring it back to Syria. And, and I think what Naaman is saying is I, I have seen that there is a God who is alive in this place. And in hope and in faith, I want to declare that someday he will be the God of Syria too. And I'm going to scatter this dirt, the soil of Israel, on this pagan ground. And he says, when I go into the temple of, of our God up there with my king, because that's part of my duty as a general to go in there. And when I bend the knee in that temple... Um, I'm really going to be praying to Yahweh. Is that cool? And Elisha says, go in peace. And I love that scene because it's a very messy way to describe worship, right? Elisha doesn't say, whoa, 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 you got to go to the right church. You got to, we got to figure out how we're going to have a proper church in Syria. No, it's this messy kind of broken world up there. And Naaman has already, you know, laid his claim. He's saying this soil represents this promise that God is someday going to be God of this whole earth. And he's going to put the world to rights. And it might not be, in my lifetime, it might not be, I mean, look at Syria now. It might be, not be 3,000 years later, but mm-hmm. one day God is going to be the God of this place. And when I go into this pagan temple, I am really going to be bending the knee toward, toward Yahweh. And Elisha doesn't try to correct him, doesn't change his theology. He says, go in peace. Mm-hmm. And it's this picture of the God of the world. You know, God's story, not just for Israel, not just for the sanctified but the people that are broken and dirty and, and, and you know have their skin falling off in one way or another, and uh, Elisha says, "Go in peace. He's your God too." I think that's a great way for us to wrap up into our speed round because oh, speed the round. Uh, the whole reason why I was wanting to start this podcast or the thematically you know call it holy cannoli was the idea that the sacred can be found in the strange mm-hmm. that you know you're talking about Naaman experiencing this sacred God experience and wanting to go and say, I'll take the, let me take the soil and let me bring it in and nope, just go in peace. And you know that that's like a, a blessing that yes, you will experience God. And I think we often, you know, you and I have been perpetrators of this. We often regulate God sometimes to this thing that we do on Sunday and God is so much bigger and so much beyond. So I have the speed round where I just ask some questions. You can take your time and think about it, but it's just short. I can, cause I can edit it. All right. <laughs> uh, but a strange place that you experienced God. Strange place that I experienced God. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, inner city Fresno. <laughs> That's strange. And, and, and as you know, as a California native, um, whether you're from SoCal in the <laughs> Bay Area, Fresno is like, no one likes Fresno. It's so unfortunate. Sorry, Fresno. Gosh, I don't want to offend any Fresno oh, listeners. I'm sure all your, all your listeners, listeners are Fresno. But we, I, you know, this is a speed round, so I'm not going to get into it. But we were doing, I was doing some work when I was a youth pastor um, with a group there. And we were in this, we were working with World Impact. And they're right next to a dog food processing plant. It was the worst smelling place in the world. And yet, God was so alive among the churches there. It was incredible. Cool. Media. What media have you experienced God in? And are you binging anything that could illustrate that? 
Um, well, you know, like you, I'm I'm a film guy, and so I um, I uh, just love finding. God's stories in the unsanctified realm of, of the movie theater. Yep. Uh, so lately, I've just been really excited about Black Panther. Uh-huh. And um, uh, his father says to him, you know, T'Challa, you're a good man. And it's hard for a good man to be a king. And just that that tension of character and leadership mm-hmm. uh, in that movie just um, shows it so well. I mean, he's a hero not because of... The technology and, and his the way he can fight or his his birthright, he's a hero because he is humble and 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 sees himself as as kind of mission minded on behalf of his people, and that's that was a, a neat story for me. Have you ever experienced God in your car? I've noticed a lot of people. Have you ever had a stoplight? Take a look around to your left, or your right. You will see people cry in their car. Have you ever cried in your car? Or experienced God in your car in any way? Uh I've ever cried in my car. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, not not that I can recall, but um, I certainly pray out loud in my car. I mean, uh, you might as well utilize that time. Yeah. Um, you know, my my commute used to be four blocks from my <laughs> house to my church, and not that my commute now can compare it to a lot of people around here, but now I I go down the road to Palo Alto, and uh, yeah, I. Um, I will not just pray, but I'll I'll pray out loud. And the great thing is that you used to look like you're crazy, but now with like hands-free phones, everyone's <laughs> <Yeah>. talking <laughs> in their right. car. Yeah. So you can get away with it and not look crazy. Okay. Well, you can raise the roof a little bit with your hands <laughs> too if you want. That's right. And then final question in a uh, just a few word response. How would you summarize who are you and why are you here? Oh, man. Uh, who am I? Um... I think I, I'm best. I, I think of myself best in terms of being um, a husband, and a father, and a son, and a brother, and a friend, and uh, hopefully a leader. And I think I am here to uh, somehow um, point people back to this great story of God that we've been talking about. Thanks, Garrett. Thank you, Tony. How should people find you if they want to get inside your mind? Because you have a podcast too. Oh yeah my 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 podcast is very niche focused uh, right now. So if you grew up in the eighties and nineties and you enjoyed uh, alternative bands from Athens, Georgia, you can uh, tune in to Let's Go Back to Rockville. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm occasionally on Twitter, uh, Garrett Brown too. And um, two R's, two T's, two R's, two T's. Yep, that's that's about it. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. Peace. Find God, find the sacred in the strange. Thanks, everybody. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax deductible donation today. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it.